Launch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome our very own manager of strategic initiatives, Shannon Amsbacher. Shannon is not a relauncher, but she is a pre-launcher, as she calls it, and we'll talk about what that is. We are interested in Shannon's perspective as a millennial on taking a future career break and on other topics for today. So Shannon, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thanks for the opportunity, Carol. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have the conversation. Shannon, you are the youngest member of our team and you're earlier in your career than anyone else on our team. So we wanna know if you can start by telling us about your career path so far, leading up to your current role here at iRelaunch. Of course, Carol. So for the first seven years of my career, I started out as a consultant at an employee benefits brokerage firm. And there I specialized in benefits that were often supplemental to your traditional health insurance benefits. And as part of this role, and part on my own accord, I became fascinated with benefits and different programs or policies that support a flexible work environment. So my research into this actually led me to your TED Talk, which resonated with me on many personal levels. And around this time, my organization was hosting a Shark Tank-esque competition complete with senior leadership serving as the Sharks. I actually submitted two ideas into this competition one of which was initiating a return to work program inspired by your TED talk. Uh, Both ideas were submitted and won awards. And as you know, during my research and preparation for this competition, I reached out to you for your counsel and we kept in touch throughout the months leading up to the conference, um, the I relaunched return to work conference. Yes, I love that. That that is how we met when you did a cold outreach to me to talk more about your Shark Tank proposal when you were in the middle of constructing it. And it was through that process over a period of time that led to you being hired at iRelaunch. So I'm very happy that you reached out um, at that time for that uh, Shark Tank uh, proposal. And And it was just really interesting to see how you dove in and did a lot of research and uh, approached creating that proposal. And and I guess in part, um, you were doing that because you're making a presentation, right? And it's just like on the show and people are directing a lot of questions to you and you have to really know your stuff. So yeah, that part of what happened with the preparation. Absolutely. So it was a 10 minute presentation and it was pretty, pretty rigorous, rigorously, uh, counted, and there was a five-minute Q&A session, so I had to really synthesize a lot of information into introducing the concept, but also translating it as to why my organization could consider it and what benefits it would ultimately have. So Shannon, you came up with this concept pre-launcher, and I want to know if you can talk about what it is and how you thought of it. Sure. So as I was approaching I relaunch, I mentioned it, it resonated to me on a couple of different ways, um, the, the organization's mission. So I think as someone who's earlier on in their career, I, I, have, I don't have children yet. I don't, I don't necessarily have elder care issues or unexpected life challenges pop up where that would necessitate a career break. But with that being said, I never know 
what the future holds. So I think there's a community of people out there in my generation who who may be pre-launchers, whether knowingly or unknowingly. So it's I what I take it to mean is someone who may take a career break in the future. Right, exactly. And do you ever talk about this with your friends? Like, is it a topic of conversation or is it something that people tend, A, either not to think about or B, they just don't talk about it with each other? I don't know if I've ever necessarily had a conversation with any of my friends about it other than, you know, my spouse, who I consider to be my friend as well. But I think it's become more of a topic, um, especially as I'm, I've been a part of iRelaunch for several months now, and I get a lot of curiosity and questioning about, oh, well, what is it that you do and what's the organization do? So I think it's becoming a conversation that's more mainstream. Exactly. And that's so interesting for me to hear you talk about it from your vantage point. Now, Shannon, you went to the iRelaunch Return to Work conference last fall. Can, can you tell us what you thought about being there and what it was like? Of course. So my experience there was one of being energized, both personally, but you could also really feel the determination in the air from the entirety of the audience. It was it was electric. Um, I was I was surprised by how much information was covered in just one day. But I'm really appreciative that a forum like this exists where the information's tailored to a relauncher's need and consideration and not just generic job search strategies that are out in today's market. But ultimately, by the end of that day, I remember calling my husband and feeling so grounded and reassured that this is where I was meant to be. This was the next step in my career and that I needed to pursue working for iRelaunch. So I was able to actually take a lot of the findings from that day, synthesize them and, and leverage some of the strategies and tips that iRelaunch provides in that return to work conference in a way that positioned the value that I could add to the iRelaunch team. That is so interesting. And just commenting on your impression, I mean, our goal for the conference is to try to pack as much relevant information as possible for the relauncher. And of course, we, you know, we also have employers there and to focus on what is an actionable strategy and minimize or eliminate any fluff um, because we have a bias against fluff. <laughs> and so, um, so it sounds like we succeeded in that regard uh, from your perspective, and, and that makes me happy. So thank you for pointing that out. Absolutely. So how do you view a future career break? You know, we've, we've seen people take career breaks at all stages of life. As you're mentioning, you know, it's, sometimes it's for child care reasons, sometimes it's for elder care reasons, sometimes it's for reasons that have nothing to do with caregiving, um, and sometimes these situations occur either unexpectedly, as, as you referenced, um, and then they sometimes last longer than people think. So sometimes people think, you know, I'm going to be out for one or two years, and the next thing you know, they wake up one day and, and 10 years have gone by. So I'm just curious how you view it, um, and I'm really interested in, because of where we are now at the beginning of a new decade, um, and I'm just thinking back to when I was your age and how this, this conversation was so far from happening at all. Um, and now it is a conversation. It's, it's in the you know, national media and people of all ages think about it. So just curious about how you view it. Well, to be quite honest, I, I, I don't have you know, my future entirely mapped out. I don't know 
what kind of mother I will be. I don't know if I will feel a desire to take a career break at that point or if there will be other certain, you know, certain circumstances personally to my own health or to, you know, my parents or in-laws that will necessitate I take a career break. But I do know that my career and the work that I do is important to me now. And I think a lot of my, in my generation can relate to that and agree with that. And I don't know, you know, what the future holds, but I do know that I want the choice to be able to take that career break or respond to those major life changes when they happen in the most appropriate way. So I think a, a lot of people in my generation and in my similar situation will begin to seek out organizations like I relaunched or other organizations that offer return to work programs or policies that indicate they are supportive of a flexible work environment. And they understand that life happens and, and sometimes people need to take a step, step back for whatever reason. You know, it's really interesting because in the last few years, I've started to give a talk called Anticipating the Future Career Break, What You Can Do Now to Make Your Return to Work Smoother Later. And one of the interesting um, pieces of that is when, even when I was testing the talk and, and I usually do it for um, university alumni audiences, there are a lot of men in the audience. So this is like not just a women's issue anymore, like it used to be perceived with the with your generation, Shannon, and, and yeah. beyond. I think that men and women are wrestling with the with these um, challenges and, and thinking about the future. So it's it's really um, something important to think about as a human issue. I completely agree. I think that there's an opportunity here for, um, you, you know, it, I mentioned, I don't know what kind of mother I be, will be. I don't know what kind of father my spouse will be, but it very well could be that he is the one taking the career break because I love my job that I relaunched so very much. Uh, so it's it's just a conversation and I think a, a, a change that is a welcome change for the millennial generation that I think we'll see a lot more egalitarian split of, you know, that second shift, that home life and, and child caring, elder care, any, you know, personal care, any, any number of reasons that someone would take a career break. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. We're seeing turn taking. We're seeing, you know, both partners um, make adjustments in their career pathing um, be, because of family or other considerations. So lots of variations on that theme. But one thing I will say is that because I have millennial children, my millennial age children myself, um, is and, and I know all of their friends and I know you and, and other people who are working, who are in your age group, whatever the stereotype is that millennials don't work hard or, you know, the focus on, on, on themselves, I don't see that at all. I, I mean, I see millennials working so hard and being very committed to, to what they're doing. So um, I, I just want to put that out there because I think it flies in the face of a lot of stereotyping that, that we see in the press and, and maybe in other contexts. But um, I, I love the, the millennial age group and, and I love the work ethic and everything that I've seen um, so far about the seriousness. Now, one thing I want to jump to is that Manpower Group did a survey on millennials that came out at the end of 2016, saying that millennials were anticipating career breaks in greater numbers than we've ever seen before. 
and you and I have, have already talked a little bit uh, about this, but when we looked at the, the data in that study, and when one thing I, I have to mention is, is that study defined a career break as four weeks or longer. Um, so we had to dive back in and say, we're not talking about a four week career break, you know, we're talking about a much longer career break. But when you look at that study and you see why people were anticipating the career breaks, they were pointing to the longer multi-year career breaks, like for um, caregiving reasons, elder care and child care to support their um, spouse or partner in, in the spouse or partner's job and prioritizing the spouse and partner's job. Sometimes it was to pursue a dream or to do extended travel. Uh, there are a whole range of reasons that pointed to the longer career break. So, you know, when we're talking to employers, we're talking about this, this issue is not going away. Um, this issue is going to become more and and more of, of uh, more important of a topic for them to consider. And it's one of the reasons that we feel so strongly that employers should have their own return to work programs, in part because of the signaling that they're doing by having one to their millennial and now even younger. I know there's a new Gen Z and a, you know younger employees coming coming up. So. So that's something we're watching pretty carefully and that we are having a lot of conversations with employers about. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Carol. I think the signaling component is really important. Uh, thinking about the, you know, for, with my background of, of employee benefits and thinking about what, what opportunities and what programs are you offering your employees to be able to see themselves in a senior role, senior leadership role, some, sometimes in the future, and what are the support structures and mechanisms to get there? Um, I know it's in part one of the reasons why I saw a future at iRelaunch. I think signaling to that younger population is going to be an important strategy for employers looking looking to retain and attract some of that top talent in the younger generation pools. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if you saw this, but there were some uh, there was recently some press that was focusing on conversations you should have with your spouse or partner about dividing responsibilities at home at every life stage and and i think this was even broached a few years ago by cheryl sandberg in her lean in book and there was another book called uh, getting to 50 50. um but this whole concept of um spouses and partners having conversations about how do you divide responsibilities at home um, at, at every life stage? Oh, and I actually think there's a, there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal by Sue Schellenbarger, who was capping off 30 years of reporting on work and family, and she was talking about some of these trends and what she's seeing, and she commented on the more egalitarian nature of the uh, approach uh, to, to you know, work and family. So I don't want to get too personal, Shannon, but I'm just uh, maybe you could comment on have you had this conversation with your spouse? Do you have do you know if your friends have had this kind of conversation with, with um, their uh, their partners? And what is the conversation like? Like, does does one person actually bring it up and say, you know, we have to talk about this dividing responsibilities? Are, are there like response dividing of responsibilities that kind of get set up right from the get go when you're now making a home together? Like how from 
if you sort of stepped outside your relationship and observed it and observed the other peer relationships that you see, how do you think it happens? Yeah, I think if I, first of all, if I step out and I look at, at my relationship and my, my peers' relationships with their spouses or partners versus my parents, I think there's certainly a, a shift towards a more egalitarian mindset and, and division of labor. I think the way that we approached it, I mean, we, we each of us gravitated towards certain responsibilities or certain chores that, you know, we were more comfortable with or, or enjoyed doing more, more so than other chores and enjoyed doing chores. But, you know, in the, I guess, planning stages of, you know, the next several years of what family life looks like for myself and my husband, we did actually just start having a deeper conversation about the division of labor and what, what I'm working on versus what he's doing and where we can maybe reallocate some of the more time-consuming tasks. And I will say that there's a book that I, I recently read called Fair Play by Eve Rodsky, and I've been really very much consuming the information that she's put into that book because it's it's a phenomenal approach to like organizing your home in a fair division of labor way. And she makes it a little bit fun because you, it's a, she makes it into a card game. So we've been toying around with this home organization system the last month, I would say. And it's a great visual of what cards are you holding versus what cards am I holding? And not only the actual execution of the labor, but the conception and planning. So that mental labor, that mental load of planning, oh, who's going to go get a birthday card and present for your sister? And who's going to set the reservation up? All of that information that, you know, is stored in someone's head, making sure that that mental load is shared so that it opens up creative outlets and opportunities for people to pour into other passions of their lives and not just taking up kind of the, the minutia of daily living. You know, I, I we should have a more in-depth conversation, uh, maybe a separate podcast about that book. I know you're diving into it um, and, and, yes. and we can get into that in more detail. But you know, when when you're talking about this, because I'm 60 years old, and because you know I I've been um, reading books on this topic for a very long time, um, I actually just pulled out of my bookcase um, one of the original books that talked about this whole concept of um, dual career parents and and how they find the time and energy for their jobs, if they have kids for kids, for their marriage. Um, and it was called The Second Shift by Arlie Hochschild. I, I don't, um, I, I really should circle back and uh, because I know she just recently wrote a book on, a, on an entirely different topic, but this book came out in 1989. <laughs> so <laughs> this conversation, um, has been going on for a long time. Now, at that time, um, you, you know, the book says uh, she studied, uh, it was a landmark study of two career parents over an eight year period. Um, but she said, it says here, she looked at marriages where the husband earns more money, hence justifies less housework, at marriages where the wife earns more, feels guilty, hence does more housework, <laughs> looks at the division mm -hmm. of domestic tasks and the way men and women cope with the gap between their ideals and the reality of overextended lives. And, you know, we saw this repeated. There was a Harvard Business School study of a longitudinal study of heterosexual couples 
who had who they um, I guess interviewed at graduation and then maybe 10 years later um, at, and at graduation everyone was all egalitarian in their conversation about how they were going to manage their careers and then 10 years later um, the couples were largely in these very traditional roles where the wife had stepped back and was managing more at home and the husband um, was prioritizing his career. Now, because this was a longitudinal study and, and it's already been out a few years, that, that information, you, you know, those graduates probably graduated at least 15 years ago, maybe longer, so it's already old. Um, but I just think the evolution of this conversation and hearing what you're saying right now is really fascinating. And, and it, it, it's really, um, it, it, it's just illustrative of how far we have come. Because sometimes you feel like, gosh, we're still talking about the same issues, but you know what? There, there, there has been a significant shift. Mm -hmm. So really interesting to you um, to hear your experiences and your conversations. Um, and, you know, I, I think whatever you and your generation are doing right now is going to set the stage and lay the groundwork for partners and couples to come um, because they're going to be looking at what the millennials did and you know, through <laughs> the 2000s um, to address this issue. Shannon, I want to know what else you are thinking about in terms of pre-launching um, and, and then what your, how your perspective might have changed now that you've had the exposure you have had so far to a lot of people who are, you know, much further along in their life stage. I, I guess I always thought that it was kind of hard to ask people early in their lives to predict what they might be doing later, but it was more instructive and probably probably easier for them to look at success stories or not success stories have helped people who are older than they were um, approached this whole topic and sort of learn from that. So I just didn't know, you've done, I know you've read many, many books on this topic. I'm guessing, I know at one point you had read 20 books on relaunching, but that was a while ago. It's probably <laughs> now 35 or 40. <laughs> um, just curious about, as an observer, looking at people who are further along in their lives and older than you, does that, like any impressions or, or, or does that tweak at all your thinking? I mean, it's certainly, I think it's certainly just with, with any group where there's not a whole lot of success stories or representation, I think we're, we're starting to see that, that shift, you know, in, in part thanks to iRelaunch. But I, I do think having those role models and those folks that have successfully relaunched and, and not only relaunched, but, you know, done, done so in, in whatever way they define success, whether that's, you know, re-engaging a, a senior leadership perspective, whether that's, you know, an entrepreneur or successfully splitting their time between, between home and work. I think that having those, those success stories is certainly a testament to the work that we're doing at iRelaunch, but I also think it's very encouraging as someone who again, you know, does not know what the, the future has in store, but is looking for the choice or the opportunity to, to make that decision when it, when it comes my way. Good point um, in terms of pointing out what is the definition of success and, and how that definition of success is, is different from, for every person. 
But the other thing that uh, while you're talking it made me uh, that I thought of was now that we are getting more and more relaunchers back into the working world on the other side of their career break, we are now in more of a position to see what happens once they come back and what what happens in their career, as you're saying, whether they have a business that they grows and becomes successful or doesn't, whether they're back in a corporate setting and they advance and, and some people advance faster than others. Some people want to advance faster than others, but we're going to have these success stories, not only at the point of relaunch, but then years beyond that, where we're going to be able to track and see what does that career progression look like once people have been back in the workforce for a number of years. We are already kind of at that point now, but we're going to have more and more data points. And, and I think it's going to be very revealing. And, and, and you're right, it's territory that we don't necessarily know what, it, what it's going to look like yet. It's, it's forming as we speak. So Shannon, I want to now go to our very last question because we're running out of time. And this is a question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and it's what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something we've already talked about today. And in your case, it could also be advice for people who are pre-launchers or, you know, at your stage of life. I'm glad you added that because I actually have a piece of advice for relaunchers and pre-launchers. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> My advice to relaunchers is not to let your own doubts and fears get in the way of going after what you truly want. My life and career to look the, looks the way it does now because of that one cold outreach I mustered up the courage to send almost two years ago. And I learned an important lesson in doing so. When I was considering that cold outreach to you, Carol, from my purview, you were this prominent scholar, this business mogul, then thought leader. You still are, of course, but my mentor at the time wisely advised me to think of what's the worst that could happen if I reached out. So I pondered this and I realized I had so much more to gain than I had to lose. But what I was really afraid of was the possibility of rejection. Even if you had ne never responded or said no, my career and reputation would still be intact. And of course, you had the most kind, modest and encouraging response which really changed my perception that I had going into the outreach, which was, who am I to reach out to someone like her? And in, in our ensuing exchanges, you taught me such an indispensable lesson that I have valuable insights and contributions to make. But that fear of not belonging and that fear of rejection was unfounded. So that realization has really helped me in my continued outreach and networking with like-minded individuals, even though they may be more senior or more experienced than I am. So I would encourage the re those relaunchers out there not to get in your own way and allow your own doubts and fears to dissuade you from taking that chance that could change your life. Instead, frame that next step in terms of your excitement instead of the nerves or fear that you might be feeling. And then for pre-launchers, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but my advice would be to check out the Center for American Progress calculator and go eyes wide open with any type of planned career break that you might be considering. I would also recommend anyone who shares a home with someone else to have an honest and frank conversation about the second shift and the equitable di division of labor, whatever that equity looks like within your own household, 
and just be aware of the other person's contributions to keep your home and social lives running smoothly. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, that calculator, it's the Center for American Progress, Michael Matowitz's um, calculator on the full cost of taking a career break. And you can put all these inputs in, in terms of your current salary, and you can look for different numbers, uh, amounts of years of career break. And it, it takes into consideration compounding and sort of security benefits and, and raises assumptions. Um, it's really very comprehensive. And I think it's really important for people to understand um, what their various options are. I, I think if that had been around when I was taking a career break, I might have taken a much shorter career break uh, than I ended up taking. I, mine was 11 years. Um, then again, we'll hear from plenty of people who say, just when I was getting ready to go back after my childcare career break, for example, I was hit with an elder care issue and then I was out for another three or four or five years. So. So, you know, as, as Shannon was saying, life happens and, and there are things that you can plan for and there are things that you um, really can't plan for that are that are unexpected. But but that calculator is, is a very useful tool. And then um, on that other piece about, you know, taking a chance and doing like a cold outreach to me, um, Shannon, I want to say I'm so glad that you did. Um, and we are so thrilled to have you on our team. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Carol. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. For more information on I Relaunch, go to irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, other social media. Thanks for joining us.